0: We're going to be talking about finances today. Um, And I had to do a deep work in my heart this week. Um, So, Scott and I, we own one car. It's a 1999 uh, Oldsmobile Intrigue. They don't even make those anymore. I know, yeah. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, uh, All the lights are on on the dashboard, (laughs) the AC doesn't work. And uh, a few months ago, before Evangeline was born, I was driving with Jason in the car, and we are going from West Main onto the 131 South, and you know they kind of have this like 131 off-ramp, and you kind of like kind of like zoom by the person who is coming onto the West Main. Um, as, as I'm driving, I'm looking at the car that's kind of coming next to me, and his wheel falls off and uh, rolls towards us and hits our car. And Jace goes boom. He's all excited, and I thought I was gonna like, you know. Um, and so we have a massive black dent in our nice white car. Um, so this car is super faithful. I mean, it's been it's been awesome. We're so thankful for it. And uh, but uh, we've also been borrowing Scott's parents' car. It's a Really cute, if you guys have ever seen it, a black, red, and white HHR. Um, his dad like had the paint job done and kind of looks retro. Um, and we've been borrowing it for way too long. It's been years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and so finally, finally, um, the last week or so, we started looking at a new car. And uh, it hasn't happened for a long time. So we're looking at like a 2016-2017 Chevy Traverse. I like Hondas, but his family worked for GM, so, um, so we're looking at that, and um, and as I'm looking and we're kind of getting excited about it, all of a sudden, I started feeling um, just kind of overcome by this emotion called guilt. Like, all of a sudden, I started feeling guilty that we were about to get a nice car, and then I was like, I had to process through this, like, why, why do I feel that way, like, like, where in my heart is there something off? Are we not supposed to get this car right now? And so the Lord kind of had to walk me through stuff, which is why I knew. This weekend, we have to talk about finances. Because I realized in my heart, there were some things that were off. And, uh, and so the Lord had to show me, you know, one, number one, guilt is never from the Lord. Ever, 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 ever. There is now no condemnation, right? So that means whenever you have this feeling of guilt, no, that's not from the Lord. You do have to ask the Lord, hey, is there some sort of like conviction there? And conviction just means direction, like a redirection if you're going the wrong way or instruction that you need to follow. And I had to go back and I said, no, Lord, I, you know, I, we prayed about this. We feel like this is supposed to be the season where we get a new car. So it's not a conviction, it was guilt. It was guilt. And so somehow in there, I started thinking, I don't deserve this car. And this guilty feeling came. And so um, my number one mistake was to think that I even deserved it or don't deserve it, because somehow in that, you have this work mentality, as if you worked enough to earn this car, and God doesn't work that way either, he gives freely, he wants to bless us, and so he, um, so that was like my number one thing, I was like, oh, that's in there, because I struggle with the work mentality, I, I like to do stuff. I like to accomplish things. And so, you know, one of the things that I struggle with is just the, the uh, feeling of earning. Like, I, I earned it. And so I, had a, I was like, okay, that's got to go, this whole deserving thing. Um, and then my second mistake was trying to define what such a nice car means. Like, is, is that too nice for us? Like, is, would a brand new Bentley be too nice? Or a brand new Toyota or, or a really nice used car that's in good condition or just a good car that I can get from A to B. What is too nice of a car? What is too nice of a car? Because, because that standard, it doesn't matter who you are in this room, there is someone more rich and there is someone more poor than you are. So what is the standard for too nice? Did you know that um, uh, if you make... $15,000 a year, you are wealthier than 92% of the world. So what is too nice? Where is this standard? And where do we think, like, well, well, you know, I, I sometimes think, man, we have judgmental standards. And I say judgmental because whenever someone has someone nicer than us, we're like, well, do they have to have that nice of a car? Right? Let's be honest. You know, like you're driving down the street and you're like, oh man, they got the newest. Man, I wonder what they do. And then someone could be looking at you and be like, your, your wardrobe full of clothes is too nice. You know, I mean, what's what's the standard? At the end of the day, it isn't about the car at all. It's about the condition of our hearts. And so um, we're going to start in 1 Timothy six, seventeen to 19. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to, hope, put, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Does God want you to enjoy really nice things? Yes. Is it a sin to be wealthy? No. Nowhere in the Bible does God frown upon being wealthy. Actually, when you look at the Bible, uh, most of the time when it's talking about it being negative, it's talking about the condition of our heart. Don't lust after rich things. Don't put riches above God. Don't put your hope in God. All of that has so much to do with the intentions of the heart. Whenever we look at people, you think about in the Old Testament, you think about Abraham and King David. They were greatly blessed, right? And you're like, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, there are a ton of people. Some of them are um, Cornelius. He owned a household that was full of servants. There's also Joseph, the rich man from Arimathea, who took Jesus' body and laid it in his own tomb. He, uh, there was also Lydia, who sold goods and had a home that housed several people. These were prominent believers that went and used their resources to expand the kingdom of God. And we have people like that today who are wealthy and they use their resources to expand the kingdom. And we're so thankful for them. Right? Thank God for them. It's not a sin to be wealthy. You know what is a sin? Is to be self-centered. It's to constantly think about yourself. It's to not look to God and realize that He's our provider, but you look to yourself and think, what can I do to get more? So... So a lot of times what happens is wealthy, we stop being givers, but when we're wealthy, we start being hoarders. Because when we think that it's mine, then that means that we have something to lose. But when we realize it's God's, and we have to receive it from him first, our hands are open to receive, and then our hands are open to give. And so sometimes it's, you have to go and you have to look at the heart. Going back to the guilt... Um, Scott and I, we went to China and lived for a year. And, uh, and then when we came back, um, we were there as missionaries. We went and we built relationships with students and um, with the teachers. We went and taught English, um, and it was an awesome time. And when we came home, um, Scott kind of had a hard time finding a job, and I felt like I wasn't supposed to get a job, which was really hard because I like to work. And so um, we also felt like Scott was supposed to do this internship at the Red Cross, He was making about eight hundred dollars a month, and I wasn't working, (laughs) and we owned a home, and um, and I was like kind of a faith walk. All right, Lord, like you told us to do this, and so um, you're gonna have to come through, right? And uh, and this is not to say Scott's not educated. He's very educated. He has his master's degree. He has a lot of experience. He's been, okay, quick story. He's been a teacher. He um, was in, like, he's been a police officer. Um, he's been a missionary. He lived in China for about four years. Um, what else has he done? I don't even know. When I first met Scott, I thought he was part of the CIA. Because I was like, you must be lying that you did, like, all of these things. And some people still think he is. Um, sometimes when he disappears for five minutes, I'm like. <laughs> but Scott, Scott's very, very well educated. And so um, him not finding a job, it was the season that we were in. And so, um, Philippians 4, says this. I'm not saying this. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi, and he's actually talking about their gifts to the ministry. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, I... We were in a season where, because um, the Lord's all about the heart, right? He's all about rooting the things that are not supposed to be there out. And so um, we were in a season where we were forced, in a good way, to realize who our provider was. Forced, in a good way, to learn what contentment meant. And, uh, and we were in that season for, I think, two years. Um, he went from the internship to being a, um, a temp at Stryker, For $12 an hour, I was still not working. (laughs) And, um, and it's just amazing because in that season, we really had to look to the Lord and say, Lord, you are a provider. It's not our job. It's not our own works. It's you. And uh, what starts to happen, I think over time, and going back to why I felt guilty, I think I started feeling content, like, all right, Lord, we do have everything we possibly need. And then over time, you know what happens is um, you start saying, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then then contentment becomes complacency. And complacency means, hey, I'm just going to, I guess I'm just going to stay here until things change. And so there's a very fine line between contentment and complacency. Very fine. And it's very hard to point out. And the Lord had to work on me because that's where I ended up. And that's why I felt guilty. Because I got to a point where I felt like um, that, that things weren't going to change. And for me to want things to change was unthankful. That it would be ungrateful for me to say, but Lord, we want that nice car. And so, what's the difference? Um, have you guys ever watched MacGyver? Yeah. How many of you guys in here know MacGyver? Okay, if you don't, is this guy who finds himself in these like crazy situations, being stuck, and uh, and then he somehow gets out of them with like a paper clip and gum. There's one episode Scott told me, he's like, yeah, MacGyver, Scott was a huge MacGyver fan. Um, he was like, yeah, MacGyver um, built a plane out of a lawnmower-like engine and bamboo and duct tape. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> I could never do that. The analogy is um, MacGyver always looked around to see what he had in order to move forward. Contentment is when you look around and it's not looking at what you don't have, it's looking at what you do have to move forward. Complacency is when you are stuck in a room and you look around and say, I can't ever get out of here. See, contentment, it's not wrong to want to break through. It's not wrong to want to have nice things. It's not wrong to want to move forward. It's looking at what you have and being content that you have everything you possibly need in that season, in that moment, to do so. And being thankful for it is very, very, very fine line. Because I look at my season and I, and I can start being like, well, I'm, I'm stuck here, so I guess I'm okay with all these things. Rather than looking at what I have and being like, I'm so thankful for all this because all of this is helping me actually move forward miraculously. Because with God, things move forward miraculously. I don't want to live in a life where it's just me. I want to live a life where someone looks at it and says, "Uh, God did that, right? And so it's so easy. It's so easy to get into complacency. When Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things, it's because he's saying, I have learned to maximize every moment with what I have. It's not saying I don't have, therefore I can't move forward. It's looking around saying, what has God given me so that I can move forward? And then there's thanksgiving in that. Um, I get pulled, there's always two sides of the road, two ditches. And we talk about this a lot because in every theology and every thought process and every habit that we have, um, there's always extremes. And that's where the Satan lies. He lies in these ditches and he beckons you to fall into them. And so um, when I felt guilty, I was really pulled into the extreme. This idea that wanting nice things is unholy. That, that um, wanting to um, have a new car or wanting more wealth or whatever um, means that I wasn't thankful to the Lord. And that just having enough is biblical. Just having what I need is biblical. And that's not biblical. Because when you think about it this way, if you just had enough for you, but you don't have any more to give to other people, isn't that selfish? And actually, that's a sin. To be selfish is to be, is to be in sin. And so when you look at it, this idea that, Lord, well, I just, I just need to have enough for myself. I just need to have enough for my family. means that you are self-focused. That you're still looking at what you need. And so when the Bible says, no, I want you to be blessed, it's because he wants to bless us to bless others. That we get in order to give. And then we give to give. And it's just this beautiful cycle. Um, I think that it's really easy to look at uh, what we have and think, well... um, In order to be thankful, then, or in order to, um, let me put it this way. Jesus, when he talks about uh, wealth in the Bible, do you think that they had these extravagant cars and planes and big houses? No, Jesus, when he was talking about being wealthy, um, actually back then, if you ate twice a day and you had oil in your lamp for after dark, you were wealthy. And so what does that mean for us? If that was wealthy, what does materialism look like for us? Right? The other side of the ditch, though, is that if you believe in God, you'll be rich. That if you do the right thing and you say the right thing, then you're going to be rich. That if you, if you give, then you will be rich. That is the other side of the ditch, And both sides of the dishes point at each other and say, well, you're less holy because our way is more holy because if we're really rich, then we can glorify God. And then the other side looks at that side and says, well, you're wrong and you're unbiblical because our way is more holy because, man, we sacrifice for God. And both are not glorifying God. You know what glorifies God is when you press into him, you're filled with the spirit, he tells you to do something and you do it. That's what glorifies God. It's not one or the other. It's what is God saying to you, for your family. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Satan likes to come in and make us feel guilty for wanting to have nice things, and then also makes you bitter for not having them. You can never win with Satan. Never. Satan's always on both sides of the ditch. Matthew nine seven nine 9-11 says, "What man is there among you, who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more your Father in heaven gives good things? I love this scripture because it really is the heart of God. Whenever we talk about finances, we really forget that it is the heart of a father looking to us and wanting to bless us. And that was my whole thing. Somehow I went back and I thought, man, I, I either deserve it or don't deserve it. And I completely forgot that um, He's our Father. That it's the heart of the Father to give us good gifts. I, I miss that. I miss that. I always, it's always easy for me to um, look at God as Lord. Like, Lord, you tell me what to do, and I do it. Like, I, I'm good with obedience. It's still hard. I'm still working through God as the father who just out of the abundance of love, he just wants to pour out on you. That has nothing to do with what you've done or will do. He just wants to lavish you with his love because what good father doesn't want that? I look at my kids and I think, you cry and you poop and you like have tantrums and yet I still want you to have the best that I can possibly give you. And God is the one that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He wants to lavish his best for you. And sometimes we forget that. Wealth, materialism, this richness thing, it doesn't, um, it's not he wants you to have health but not wealth. Right? He wants you to have this but not that. No, he wants you to enjoy everything. He wants you to be whole. He wants to give freely to you. But in wealth, he wants you to do it the right way. He wants you to enjoy it the right way. He wants you to be able to have wealth and not be bound by it. Right? The Bible says that where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. What does that mean? That means if you've never participated in the stock market, you won't care. Like, I don't care. But if you have money in the stock market, you will start to care. That's what that means. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money is, you can't help but turn your heart and say, well, I do care actually now about that. And that's okay. But it's because of that that God sets up these systems for us so that we can enjoy wealth freely. For example, he sets up the tithe. Tithe is the first 10% of all of our increase. And why does he say that we should tithe? Why does the Bible says that the first 10% of all of your increase is holy unto me? It's because he knows that we need the tithe in order to make sure our heart is constantly in the right place. It's not for him. Like sometimes we ask people, why, why should we tithe? Why do you think that um, we need to tithe to the Lord? And they're like, oh, because God needs the money. God doesn't need the money. Okay? Again, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His streets are lined with gold. He can do anything, right? He finds coins in the mouths of fishes. He doesn't need our money. The tithe is for us. So in Leviticus, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord and it is holy to the Lord. When we exercise giving, when we, when we exercise the freely receive, freely gift, give, again, it goes back to when we really understand that everything that we have is from God, we open our hands and we receive it from him. And then when he says give, it's already open, right? And we realize, well, I freely receive it, so I freely give it. Actually, it, it really doesn't belong to me. It's the Lord's. But when we have our hands clutched, and we don't realize that we have to receive from the Lord and we're just doing it ourselves. it's really a lot harder to just give because you have to pry your hands open, right? Like you, you give and then in your heart, there's a sinking feeling. When we readjust our hearts, that's why the Lord instituted these things. It's not because he's trying to be mean. Sometimes I heard, um, I was in a coffee shop once and I heard these two guys talking and the guy was like, yeah. God is so mean. And I was like, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. They were talking really loud. Um, But they were like, God is so mean. Like, it's always about the do's and don'ts. Always. And I just think, you know, um, it, it could look like that if you don't understand his heart. That his heart is that when we obey, we get set free. That when we actually do what he tells us to do, we get to enjoy life and not be bound by it right you know when when we when we give up freedom for comfort that's exactly what we do we get bound by the life we create but if we realize no i want to be free and so lord i'm actually going to obey you there's quote unquote the action of less freedom but really what it does is it tears off all of these chains that has been binding us this whole time and we don't realize that. We've just been, you know, have you guys ever um, seen that elephant that gets chained up next to something and then you move the chain and he doesn't move any further away because he's just so used to walking around with that chain on? But when the Lord beckons to us and he's like, no, 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 come further from that. No, 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 come, come further from that. No, come even further. Look, actually you have so much more freedom if you would just do what I say. If you move away from what's secure, if you move away from what you've always known, what you think is stability, if you would just move away from that, there's so much more freedom over here. And that's what the Lord says. And that's why when we do what he says, when he says we tithe, uh, we're going to look at that. Malachi 3.10 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I love, love, love the scripture. It's a weird scripture to love. But I love it because, um, and I shared this before, this is one of the only times that God says, Test me. All throughout the Bible, you always see God says, No, don't, don't test the Lord. Don't test the Lord. But actually, in in this um, concept of money, God says, test me. Test me. Because what he's saying is not just test me. He's saying, expose me. Expose my heart to you. If you would trust me and you would bring your tithes to the storehouse, guess what's going to happen? You're going to expose my heart to you, which is opening the floodgates of heaven and pouring down such blessing that you won't even have room enough to receive it. Amen. That is exposing God's heart to you. He says, test me. I love that. Thank you, Lord. Okay, <laughs> pull my arm. <laughs> and you know what's funny is sometimes we look at floodgates of heaven that you won't have enough room enough to receive it. Um, sometimes we don't realize, you know, that is an absolute miracle. Like the floodgates of heaven opening up for you. Like someone should look at your life and be like, that is an absolute miracle that just happened. A lot of times in our lives, we don't experience miracles because we don't give God the opportunity to. Because we don't do what he says. Because we're still clinging to what we think is more secure. When Scott was only making about $800 a month and then he was a temp at striker, um, it was a non-negotiable for us to tithe. And this is one of the things I absolutely love about Scott um, because he, he is so rooted in God's faithfulness. Like he looks at that and he's like, absolutely, like, like we, we cannot do more with 100% without God than 90% with God. Like that makes no sense, you know, like we're going to tithe. And, um, and I will be honest with you, there have been moments where I'm like, but we totally couldn't need that money, right? Um, but in those two years that um, felt pretty squeezed, um, we saw God do incredible things. Um, some of those things, and I have to read it off of my paper because I don't want to forget because there were so many things. During that time, we paid off all of our credit card debt which was like $10,000, so it wasn't like 100. dollars We paid off all of our credit card debt. Uh, we had people gift us money left and right, like randomly. Um, one time, we, uh, that month was extremely tight, we didn't tell anybody, but we weren't gonna be able to pay our mortgage, and then somebody, somebody anonymously came and knocked at our door and then left $1,000 at our doorstep. Like money, it felt like money was like falling from the sky. Like, the floodgates of heaven literally were opening up. Um, I think we only bought, like, two boxes of diapers for Jace for his first year and, like, three for a second. Like, we really didn't buy anything for our kids. Um, We were gifted TVs, ATV, couches, clothes, groceries, um, more times than I can count. Like, it just absolutely blew my mind. And I look around, and I'm like, um, we, in the natural, like, could have done nothing with what we had, but the Lord is not um, restricted. The Lord is not limited, right? And this is the other thing you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And so when he says, test me, that's literally what he's saying. Do what I say and just try me. There's another story someone in our congregation who's been at the Rock for years and years and um, he was trying to pay off his car. And being here at the Rock, he never really regularly tithed before. And so he was like, he thought to himself, I'm going to try it. Like, let's just see what happens. And he paid off his car in like the next couple of weeks. Try me now in this, right? Test me. Test me. It is the one area where God says, please do it so that you can see my heart. It's the heart of the Father. James one seventeen. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heaven. Whatever is good and perfect, it's a gift coming down from God, and not just God the Lord, but God our Father, because that's his heart. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together, and so if you guys have a communion cup, you can grab that. If you don't, raise your hand, and um, one of the ushers will get a communion cup to you. I once heard that um, the Bible can be summed up in two words. God gives. And the more that we dig into that, the more we realize, really, it's just the heart of the Father. And in the Bible, it says that if he wouldn't even withhold his son from you, why would he withhold anything else? Why would he withhold anything else from you? And when we take communion, that's really what we can reflect on is, man, out of the love of the Father God, he gave his son for you. And when you look at that, then material goods actually, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare to the sacrifice that was made on the cross. It doesn't compare to the heartache that he went through watching his son die for us. That's the heart of the Father that he loves us so much that he wouldn't even withhold his son. I would withhold my son. The world would be jacked. I'm sorry. I wouldn't be able to do it. Good thing I'm not God. Right? I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And so as we take communion today, um, I want us to reflect on that. That if God wouldn't even withhold his son, why would he withhold any other good and perfect thing from you? That the heart of the Father for you is good and it's pure. And it's, n- this is the word I, I always go back to extravagant. It's extravagant.